what's really, really important is small changes because again, patterns are what are important. And if you try and overhaul your diet really fast, it's not gonna be sustainable. So you have to make changes that you can stick with long-term um, and then build from there. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today we have two guests. Fred Tabung is an assistant professor in the Department of Internal Medicine and a scientist whose research focuses on the role of diet and lifestyle and how this impacts cancer risk. Candace Schreiber is a James dietitian who leads clinics and classes and works with patients and their families to put into practice the healthy dietary goals and recommendations from Fred and other experts in this growing field of research. In this episode, Fred will fill us in on what foods and lifestyle choices can increase and can also decrease your cancer risk and some of his latest research. And Candace will help take these suggestions from the lab to the kitchen table in the form of delicious, healthy meals. So our goal is to give you the information you need and some shopping and cooking tips to help you lead a healthy life. So welcome, Fred and Candace, to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you, Steve. We Glad got a lot here. of yes. ground to cover and two experts, so I'm excited <laughs> to get going. And Fred, let's start with kind of a big question that I think a lot of people are wondering. And like we know cancer, inhaling smoke, and we know the UV light from the sun can cause cancer, but how can what we eat and our lifestyle impact cancer? Absolutely. Um, cancer is a multifactorial disease, as you rightly mentioned, Steve, with a lot of lifestyle factors uh, impacting. Um, we also have uh, genetics and, 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 and all that, but diet is really important uh, for cancer because we eat every day. And, you know, they say food, uh, let thy food be thy medicine. We eat and we don't think about it as we should, right? It's supposed to be enjoyable. Food is supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be part of our lifestyle. It's supposed to be part of culture. We should eat and enjoy, but uh, being able to eat in a healthy way that could help prevent um, uh, cancer uh, overall is uh, what the focus is. And it is not always evident. It is difficult to identify the um, you know, the, the factors in the food or in the diet that are really uh, crucial for, um, uh, for cancer prevention and, uh, and treatment and improving treatment response. And that is what my focus is. So what actually happens in the body in terms of eating or even lifestyle that would increase your risk of cancer, either kind of the types of food you eat and what they do to your body? The specific way that I approach diet research is to identify combinations of foods and beverages that would affect metabolism, specifically inflammation and insulin response. And these are really important um, uh, for cancer prevention and treatment response. Yes, because I've heard from others that inflammation, they don't exactly understand why, but inflammation, which in some cases also is obesity, somehow inflammation can increase your risk for cancer. And obviously Absolutely. when you say insulin, that can increase your chance for diabetes, which is also very unhealthy. Absolutely. So before we sort of talk about your combinations, I'm, I'm guessing you have some good combinations and bad combinations. Candace, we've talked before about this. There's sort of general guidelines overall of how people should eat, like, like what's a healthy diet. So give us the basics of 
a healthy diet. Yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of what I educate on is following the American Institute for Cancer Research's 10 guidelines for cancer prevention and survivorship. And one of their guidelines is a plant-focused diet. And so that's really what I encourage. It's not necessarily vegan or vegetarian. You can certainly have some animal products if you choose here and there. But the goal is really to fill the majority of your plate with plants and most of that being uh, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, those types of foods. So that's really the kind of the patterns that we encourage. Lots of vegetables. So you can eat a little meat, yeah, yeah. not too much. <laughs> and, and, and I think this is what you've told me before. You can eat meat, but it's preferable. Red meat is, is probably less red meat. Yes, less that, red meat. Um, you want to focus on more lean sources such as skinless chicken, turkey, the American Heart Association does recommend fish twice a week for heart health, so you can certainly um, add some fish in there, but cooking it in healthful ways, such as grilling and baking. Um, and uh, Not fried fish. Correct. <laughs> not all the time. Right. Um, okay, once. Yeah, so <laughs> meat can certainly, uh, what I often tell people is try to make meat as a side item. I think most of us tend to focus on meat as the main part of our meal, and we prefer that you do that as more of the side item and then vegetables would be the star of your meal. If you limit, um, you know, servings of, of, of red meat, you know, to just uh, um, one or two servings in a week, talk about processed meat. Processed meat, if you can cut down on processed meat, you know, um, and eat just a little bit uh, per week, it can go a long way really can go a long way. Now, when you and say it, pro processed meat, hot yes. dogs, sausages. Right. Uh, sausages and bacon, and uh, which are even much more um, uh, much more inflammatory or cause spikes in insulin uh, hypersecretion than, um, uh, than red meat. But yeah, as part of a dietary pattern, it should be. So the body, what is important to the body is what the body sees on a regular basis not whether you eat a, a piece of cake once or twice a month. You know, if the body is seeing that on a regular basis, the body gets used to that, right? And, you know, if that is helping to keep insulin levels at a high level, and I should say that, you know, insulin and inflammation that I study, you know, uh, the relationship of these dietary patterns to these um, uh, uh, metabolic processes, they are important part of how our bodies function, right? It is not that they are bad in and of themselves. We need inflammation. We need insulin to be able to function normally. But when the inflammation or the insulin has done what it is supposed to do, it is supposed to go away. It is supposed to resolve. And when it hangs around, it tells the body to do other things other than just, you know, getting uh, glucose levels down for insulin. It might tell the body to do things that are not good for um, um, uh, for health and, and eventually for cancer risk. What, so, what, do, what bad things does it tell the body to so do? So, for example, very high level, constant high levels of insulin can tell the body cells to divide when they are not supposed to be dividing. You know, and when cells are dividing, when they are not supposed to be dividing, it gives an opportunity for an error which can lead to a can the cells becoming cancerous. Wow, so. I never knew that. I thought just too much insulin led to diabetes, but can also increase your risk for cancer. Absolutely. Diabetes diabetes is a very important risk for uh, risk for cancer. Obesity and diabetes. Now, Candace, you've been you were shaking your head in agreement. Yeah. So I take it you've talked to and worked with patients here at the James who 
are dealing with that where their weight might not be appropriate and they're trying to reduce their weight and to be healthier. Right. How do you, what do you do? How do you yeah, help these so people? Again, we, we focus on our plate. So um, the goal is really, and I don't, normally when I do classes on this, I don't really focus on weight. weight I don't focus yeah. on the number. We, just, we think about patterns and healthy uh, lifestyle and things we do because it's not just about the number. There's so many things that, it, that, affect, um, that affect our health and affect our weight. So um, what I really try to focus on is just um, kind of changing pattern a little bit few patterns here and there. So I kind of talk to them and see what they're doing. And uh, if there's certain changes that they can make, such as, you know, decreasing the amount of sugar sweetened beverages, um, we might start there. Or again, adding in more vegetables and decreasing our meat or maybe decreasing, you know, you can certainly have carbohydrates, but maybe there might be too much of that. So maybe decreasing some of those. It could be, you know, focusing on different kinds of snacks. Maybe they're having a lot of highly processed snacks and maybe we try to focus on eating more fruits or yeah. more vegetables for snacks. So um, it kind of just depends. I try to uh, meet people where they're at. Now you mentioned processed foods and Fred, processed foods, not just hot dogs and, and sausages, but when you buy something that's frozen that you heat up, that's highly, has a lot of ingredients and even non-food ingredients in it. What happens, what do processed foods do and why should we maybe limit them? The nutritious parts are removed. It becomes really, it tastes nice, but yeah. on a nutrient. That's how they on, trick you. Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, because it tastes nice, it tastes sweet, it does not necessarily translate to good health. And the, the important, um, maybe cancer-fighting um, parts of the food have been stripped away to make it um, uh, really palatable and, uh, and taste nice, but it is not helping us um, much. What I try to hone in on um, in, my, in my research is how can we make the most out of this? Like if you were to focus on increasing fruits and vegetables in your diet, which specific fruits and vegetables are going to be more impactful on metabolism? Oh, and, and you will be Which able ones to do we prioritize okay. and increase in the diet in proportion to all other vegetables, for example, fruits oh, and vegetables, okay. you know? We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to hear about these specific fruits and vegetables that can have an even bigger impact than some other fruit and vegetables, and then Candace will help us figure out how to get them more into our diet. In today's world, misinformation abounds, but at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Fred Tabung and Candace Schreiber, and now we're going to get into some specifics that I think can help people about specific foods, and, and, and not every food, well, this, not every food is either good or bad, and its combinations are interesting, so Fred, take it away and, I don't know, pick a certain food and we'll, we'll go from there. We can get more out of 
you know, our diet, if we are to uh, focus on foods and beverages that um, that affect inflammation and insulin response more, you know. Um, and let me give you an example. Green leafy vegetables, for example, are great. Dark yellow vegetables that include carrots and um, and yam and, and 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 potatoes are also good. Um, but let me give you an example of um, you know the way it can become a little bit complex. Take potatoes. You know, if you were to chop your potato wedges and put them in a in a um, in 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 microwave or in 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 um, uh, and bake them, compared to um, French fries like from a fast food restaurant, the way that the put the potatoes that you baked would affect these biomarkers of inflammation and insulin response is so very different and more positively than. The potatoes from the from the French fries, but these are we are talking all potatoes. Take for example another example that I will give is tomatoes, right? Tomatoes are great. You can munch your tomatoes fresh, you know, it's great for health. But you can we can get more out of tomatoes. Tomatoes contain lycopene, which is an anti-inflammatory um, an anti-inflammatory substance. You know, it can do if we can get more of the lycopene out of the tomatoes, it can really help in, you know, um, uh, it's a cancer-fighting um, uh, a bioactive, but how can we do that naturally in our, in our, in, 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 in our food combinations? Combining um, our fresh tomatoes in a tomato salad with a source of fat, now Candice probably can talk <laughs> about yeah. what some of those sources but, of fat but Before be. we do that, but, I'll give you a second <laughs> thing about yeah, it. Yeah. I just want to make sure I understood you. When you say a potato, a baked potato, a white potato, as a pair to French fries, which are fried in fat. Mm -hmm. So not only is the French fry bad because of all the fat, but the cooking process itself makes it, it worse than baking them. Right. Okay. And this, the source of fat is also important, right? The source of fat that, you know, the, the oil that is used to fry the potatoes, the salt that is added to it, you know, before, before consuming, it all makes the you know, uh, it all makes all the difference when it comes to the biomarkers that it will impact immediately. And if you are eating that on a regular basis, that is what your body knows. So French fries, less, much less French fries, more baked potatoes as part of a healthy diet. Yeah, and it, don't put a, a, a stick of butter and <laughs> three scoops of, of uh, sour cream on top of them. Right. <laughs> okay, now Candace, help yeah. us figure out between potatoes and, and tomatoes and, tomatoes, and yeah. maybe other rhyming vegetables, <laughs> right. what, what we can do to increase yes. those. So I'll just start with potatoes um, since that's uh, what Fred started with. Uh, as he mentioned, you know, baking them is great. You can bake them whole, leave the skin on. But if you want to kind of try, do French fries, you know, if you're decreasing, you know, restaurant French fries and processed french fries, um, you can certainly make them at home. You can chop up your whole potato. Um, you can drizzle a little bit of olive oil, a little salt, and I like rosemary. I think that works really well with potatoes. And then pop them in the oven till they get nice and brown and crisp and pull them out and you have great, you know, healthier french fries. Um, or an air fryer. If you have an air fryer at home, those would make even better, I would say, even better french fries. Um, and then as far as tomatoes go, so in a salad would be great. So a healthy fat. Um, as he mentioned, so something like olive oil, 
avocado, nuts are all healthy sources of fat. The other thing too is, you know, cooking tomatoes can help enhance the lycopene as well. So what I would suggest, I'm going to throw out a little recipe here, is taking a little drizzle of olive oil in a pan, let it get hot, add some garlic, and then add some whole cherry tomatoes. Once those cherry tomatoes start to pop and to kind of release their juices, you know they're good. They're nice and cooked. And then you can add some whole grain pasta. You can add some spaghetti squash. You can add some zucchini noodles. Top it with basil and you have a great lunch, great dinner right there. So in cooking tomatoes, what happens that increases the lycopene and makes it healthier for you? Because I've heard this and I love spaghetti with red sauce with lots of vegetables. So what happens in, in, in the tomatoes and how does that affect your, your health and body? The cooking makes the lycopene more bioavailable. The lycopene is bioavailability is the key word. Um, So cooking makes uh, the carotenoids and other um, lycopene more bioavailable to the body. And adding a source of fat to the cooked tomatoes even makes the lycopene more bioavailable. With a little olive oil. Yes. That that adds the fat. Makes it more, yeah. So that's the combinations you're talking about. Right. Okay. Combinations like that. It looks trivial, but it can really do more for us to get. I mean, we can get more out of our diets in relation to optimizing inflammation and insulin, um, reducing insulin hypersecretion, insulin spikes. Um, Yeah. And you only need a little bit of fat. I just it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't uh, give you room to just pour some Portion olive oil. Yeah. Important. Okay. So just those a are, little drizzle. Is good. Those are great examples. Potatoes and tomatoes. What would be another uh, really good food that we can figure out how to get more into our diets? Whole grains are great whole to get, grains. get okay. into the diet. Oh, whole grains. Oh, you're, and... this is something Candace knows all about. Okay. Right. <laughs> and... Um, you know, increasing whole grains in proportion to the uh, to, to processed uh, refined grains, it is really important. And little changes can go a long way, like gradually um, moving away from the white rice to the brown rice, or moving away from the white bread to the brown bread, and um, increasing those uh, choices that uh, um, that contain more whole grain. Now, I know whole grain has fiber, which mm-hmm. is good for you. Anything else in there that 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 is helpful? Whole grains contain a lot of uh, other nutrients that um, that are stripped away when uh, the grains are refined. Um, but fiber is really key, and it's a good way of comparing. Like if you're in a grocery store and you want to uh, really see what the difference is, I would say go to look at fiber before the whole host of other nutrients that you will get from the whole grain. Fiber is usually key. If you take the same, you know, um, packet of bread, that one that is leveled as whole grain and one that is leveled as um, as refined grain, and you compare the fiber levels, the fiber in the whole grain is usually higher. And that can be an indicator, you know, um, um, of which bread to choose. But the whole grain bread or other uh, whole grains do have a lot of uh, uh, cancer-fighting nutrients in, in them. So, Candice, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. You and your family, your kids, love yeah. grain bowls. Yes. So give us some of your recipes and some of your ingredients to help people 
create their own because it's a very creative process. Yes. Um, so, and the good, and the big thing too is variety. So brown rice is great, but you don't want to eat brown rice all the time. Um, and so there's other whole grains to choose from, such as quinoa, farro, um, barley is another good one. Um, and so kind of mix it up. Um, they're all great choices. Another thing too, to kind of think about is, you know, if you don't like whole grain pasta, one thing you can do is kind of mix half and half, do some whole grain, some white as you kind of transition. The other thing too, I tell people, you know, if you really don't like whole grain pasta, that's okay. Choose whole grains as often as you can, but you know, if some things you just don't enjoy, that's okay too. Um, just try to make it more, try to choose those whole grains other ways if you say you don't like whole grain pasta. Um, but as far as grains go, farro is my favorite. Um, I would say between farro and quinoa. And the one tip I always give people is to cook it in like a low sodium broth. It's okay. going to give a lot more flavor than cooking it in water. And all the grains, liquid to grain ratios are going to be different. So just follow the package instructions. Um, but then once you have your whole grain, what I like to do is add some roasted vegetables on top and then some roasted chickpeas or any other kind of bean or nut to get some protein in there. And that makes one of the best easy lunch or dinners um, that I like to make. Now, roasting vegetables, you're an expert at that. So what's a tip or two <laughs> yeah. on how to roast them and, and yeah. a couple of your favorites to roast? Sure, sure. So uh, a couple tips I have is make sure you're cutting them all in about the same size, leaving space. Don't let them overlap. If you throw a bunch of veggies on one cookie sheet and they're all overlapped, they're just going to steam. Nutritionally, that's fine. You're not losing any nutrients. But to me, getting that caramelization is a lot better in flavor. And so I would say leave lots of space, drizzle of olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic powder, onion powder, maybe an Italian seasoning or a thyme, and then roast them in the oven till they're lightly browned, tender, crisp. Um, and also another tip would be to do a mix of vegetables. Oh yeah, um, And kinds. so I yeah. talked about doing half, uh, trying to make half of your plate or the majority of your plate vegetables. Well, that can be kind of boring if you do all broccoli, for example. Right. Um, not that broccoli is bad, but... <laughs> Does anybody really want to eat, you know, a half a plate of broccoli? And so I would say add more than one vegetable, maybe broccoli and cauliflower, maybe zucchini and eggplant, but find other ways, multiple colors even is the goal as well, um, and get a good yeah. big sheet pan of those roasted veggies. And it's butternut squash season now, yes. and that's Winter a great squash. one. And another yeah. one that, that my wife loves, so I, I do now, is beets. Yes. Yes, and I'm they a big like fan. A sweetness. Yes. Yeah. So I know some people like to roast beets whole, but no. I'm a bit yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of it's a little more work, yeah. but I think it's a lot really worth it is to peel them, chop them up, and then you get even more caramelization and they're delicious. Fred, what's your favorite roast <laughs> roasted vegetable or two? Um <laughs> kale and um um putting in um Spinach, you know. Um, those you don't. Have, those you really... don't sometimes add them to the <laughs> roasted vegetables. Yeah, yeah. adds yeah. a little crunchiness and different texture. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. and toasted nuts too. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Toasted nuts. Toasted yeah. nuts yeah. is, is absolutely. A great Anyone else getting hungry? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what's another suggestion, Fred? Something else that you think, or one or a combination of things that work well. The other thing I would think of is um, what has really come up in, in, you know, in some of our studies is um, dry fruit. Dried fruit. Dried fruit. 
um, that dry fruit is is really good and can be used in very different ways, you know, even as a sweetener. With dried fruit, should you be careful about the sh look on the package about the sugar content? Is that a an issue or is it if it's all natural and not added processed? All natural. As long all as natural, it's natural, dried fruit, not absolutely. added when sugar. Any food with added sugar is right. not good. But dried fruit, sometimes they do put added sugar, so you that should be careful, right? That is not good. Absolutely. Because I think cranberries, or, yeah. or candles, what? Yeah, what dry fruit. Yeah, they raisins, raisins yeah. really are good. Yeah. But any dry fruit that is, any food basically without added sugar, sugar. the sweetness should be natural. Um, they not, go good in a grain bowl. Yeah, they fruit. do. And so, the salad, yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. Okay. The other thing that I wanted to mention um, when it comes to um, the, the approach, what we've learned is um, that beyond the calorie content of the food, beyond the nutrient content of the food, is also that some foods may not really contribute a lot of calories or no calories at all, but they are metabolically active. I will give you two examples. Coffee. Coffee. Okay. Coffee as a beverage, right? Coffee doesn't contribute calories if it is if it is you, you don't know, put a we lot put of stuff calories in. into, yeah. into, into coffee. <laughs> you if, don't get a triple yeah. latte, cream, yeah. something. Mm -hmm. And so coffee doesn't contribute calories, but it is metabolically potent, really potent metabolically in, in, a, in a good way. Absolutely in a good way. Um, the other beverage that may not contribute calories is diet soda and artificial sweetness. They don't contribute calories, but they are also metabolically active, not in a very good way. Oh, I was wondering where you're going with this. I, okay, so, so diet, these are yeah, two examples, because, two or three examples yeah. that, you know, if we were, they, 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 uh, they, they, the conventional approach to diet tends to not involve, include these because they don't contribute calories, because that approach is right. heavy on calories. Right? And I uh, would totally miss this if you were to just go with the conventional approach of, you know, calorie content of the food, nutrient content of the food. But when you consider the metabolic properties of the food, in addition to calories and, and, and beverages, and in addition to calories and nutrients, uh, these other uh, foods and beverages begin to become evident, yeah. you know, that they can contribute to metabolism either in a good way if you increase in the diet or in, in, in not in this uh, a good way if you uh, increase uh, in the diet. So the bad thing about uh, diet soda is that the sugar substitute, while it doesn't have calories, it has, I'm not, I'm not sure if chemicals is the right word, but it has substances in it that perhaps aren't so healthy. Right. Um, and those substances are metabolically active. In yeah. a bad way. In a bad way. They are metabolically active. Um, and um, so dietary patterns that we develop in the lab, um, the low insulinemic dietary pattern or the low inflammatory dietary pattern would have more coffee in it and, um, and less diet soda. Now, okay. if, you con if you compare diet soda with, um, with regular soda, um, I would say the, the regular soda may be very bad, much more so than the diet soda that if you were to want to transition out of too much soda and you're drinking a lot of diet soda, um, I mean drinking a lot of regular, regular soda, soda yeah. then the diet. diet soda may be an alternative with the eventual goal of, you know, eventually 
um, um, uh, uh, moving away from that. But yeah, diet sodas may not be as bad as the regular sodas, but they are also they are still metabolically active. Than um, you know, even though they don't contribute calories. So, Candice, you're a bit of a good non-alcoholic mixologist. So, <laughs> what are some drinks low in sugar that you and your family uh, like? Yeah, I mean, well, we're big water fans. Gotta okay, admit, yeah. uh, water is pretty much all that we drink. Yeah. Um, even my kiddos, uh, I like to put lemon in it. Uh, sometimes in the summer, I'll do mint or basil to give it some flavor. But you could also do, if you want that carbonation, but you don't want to do the the soda, the regular or the diet, you can get those waters, you know, that are calorie free, like the um, any kind of those those types that you can find at the store that don't have artificial sweeteners and are just, just water um, with a little uh, flavoring in it. Uh, those are good. Um, unsweet tea is another good one that you yeah. could do. Um Tea's actually pretty good for us. Um, and then, as you mentioned, coffee as well with, you know. Green green tea? Green tea's good. All, all teas are good. All, all teas yeah, are good. all okay. teas are good. Um, I would say I've seen a little more studies on green tea, but if you don't like green tea, don't force yourself right. to drink it. I would say black, um, white, Chinese are all good options as well. Um, but, yeah, the tea, the water. Water is the most important, I would say. Try and get any way that okay. you can so, more water. That was great overview and a lot of specific tips we can use. So I think it might be helpful if each of you can kind of sum up and give people some takeaway points that they can use in everyday life. Fred, why don't you go first? Absolutely. Um, so the dietary guidelines that we have here and that um, uh, Candice uh, really talked about, they can help us, right, to improve our health and and um, and for cancer prevention. But um, we can really get more of our diet if we focus on um, foods and beverages that optimize levels of uh, inflammation and, uh, and insulin hypersecretion. Metabolic processes that are important for major chronic disease that are going on within us and that we typically are not aware of, you know, um, and um, so increasing um, um, fruits and vegetables in and prioritizing specific fruits and vegetables uh, within the diet, uh, increasing whole grains and in priority, and also um, focusing on beverages that, you know, even though they may not uh, um, um, uh, contain calories, but are also metabolically active. So um, I feel that this would go a long way, um, you know, to take advantage of uh, of diet as food, looking at food as medicine uh, in helping us to uh, prevent cancer and improve treatment response. We are, uh, my lab is collaborating with the Clinton lab to translate some of these findings that we have in large population-based studies into um, uh, into the into the clinic, and uh, I'm very excited to say that the American Cancer Society has actually uh, recently support, uh, funded one of our projects to translate the low insulinemic dietary pattern uh, into the clinic amongst um, um, women who are at high risk for breast cancer, and we'll be doing that study early next year uh, at the Spielman Cancer Center. And um, uh, the, the main objective of the project will be to um, 
uh, to advise women to make changes in their diet that are consistent with a low insulinemic dietary pattern and determine whether um, these changes, uh, if they do um, uh, adhere to these changes for uh, a couple of months, whether that can lead to favorable changes in the biomarkers that are important for breast cancer. Uh, prevention. So really excited uh, from the support from the American Cancer Society that we'll be uh, finally translating some of these findings that we have in large population-based studies into the clinic finally. Yeah, that sounds like a really important study. Yeah. Wow. So food is medicine, which sometimes people don't like the word medicine. So Candace, make food as medicine <laughs> yes. taste good. Food can <laughs> taste good. I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves <laughs> as a dietitian is people think that healthy food doesn't taste good and that's so far oh, from the truth. Yeah. It takes a little bit of effort to make it taste good, but it absolutely can. Um, so, you know, the biggest takeaway I would say is adding in more vegetables. Think about your dinner as you're putting together your plate, as you're making your meal, decrease the amount of meat to a smaller portion and then add in more vegetables. Find ways in the diet that you can increase your vegetables. You know, if you have a snack in the middle of the day, maybe sometimes have a vegetable snack or a fruit snack. Um, finding ways to add vegetables with lunch, which we don't often think about. Sometimes a lot of us just leave them for dinner. Finding ways to add them in other places. Um, finding ways to add in more whole grains, you know, making that switch from white rice to brown rice or whatever switch that you feel you can make and sustain. Um, and so that's really kind of the importance of eating patterns is, is those plants, especially the vegetables and the fruits. That was a great overview and provides a lot of practical advice for people. And Fred, that sounds like you're doing some great research, particularly that last thing you mentioned about reducing uh, working with women who are high risk for breast cancer, that could really be impactful. And Candace, I know from attending some of your classes that you give lots of our James patients the information they need to eat mm -hmm. healthy, delicious diets filled with fruits and vegetables. Yes. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.